You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. Good morning. Thank you, Charlie. Um, Hey, my name is Nick Barker. Um, I'm an elder here at Missio, um, and it's uh, it's just really, really um, good to be with you this morning as we continue the the biblical narrative um, and, and get to um, get to Sinai, Mount Sinai, where where God um, comes down and meets His people who He's liberated, who He saved out of oppression, and um, as He's about to provide instruction for them. Um, my wife, Danny is over there with um, our son, Duke, somewhere. Um, he's, uh, he's 14 months old, and he, he's uh, getting close, or getting, I think he's getting close to the place where he's able to comprehend instruction and um, rules and, um, uh, yeah, just patterns within our house. And um, as Duke is getting older, we're starting to we're starting to provide some guidelines and contours for him, right? And it's simple things like don't throw your food on the floor. Be careful where you stick your fingers. Don't take the potted soil um, from the indoor plants and throw that on the floor either. Don't eat the dog food. Right, so these are these are all um, all very simple things, um, but things that we we feel like we need to constantly reinforce with our son. And I mean, I, I was just imagining, like, if we would just allow him to do this. Imagine, like, if someone came into our house, and Duke is just throwing his food all over the place, sticking his fingers wherever he wants to stick his fingers. He's eating the dog food. There's potted soil all over. It would just be a, it would be a disaster. It would be an absolute disaster. And the, way we, the reason why we have these guidelines for him is because we love him and we want him to flourish and we want him to grow into the best version of himself, which does not entail eating dog food. And so God's, uh, God's people um, arrive at, at a mountain called Sinai. They, they've been liberated. They're wandering in the desert. And, and in the same way that um, any parent, any good parent would provide instruction and, and guidelines for their children, God the Father now intervenes again with Israel and provides commandments for how they're to organize their lives, how they're to organize their society, um, and how they are to be um, a light to the nations as their identity. And so let, let's jump into the narrative. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. I'll be in the NIV this morning. Exodus 19 and 20. Let me pray. And we'll read God's word. Father, we we thank you for being present. We thank you for being gracious. And this morning, we thank you for being guiding in our lives. As we hear your word, would it melt our hearts? Would it shatter our categories? 
and, and would it convict us to align our lives with what you call us to. Amen. Exodus chapter 19, we'll pick up in verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what, are, what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourself have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so Moses comes back down the mountain and he, he shares this with, with the Israelites. And he says, look, um, God has a plan for us woven into our identity. And as God has a plan for us, he's going to give us these commandments, these laws, these ways to live so that we could display, we could display him to the nations. Are you in or are you out? And God's people go, yeah, this sounds great. We're in. Let, let's do it. And so Moses goes back up to up on the mountain and says, hey, God, like, they're in. Let's do it. Comes back down the mountain. Um, God and pretty much says after he comes, or God tells Moses after he comes down the mountain, look it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet you again. So in a little bit, you go back up, but I'm going to descend on this mountaintop with, with smoke. And God's people will see um, the smoke and the clouds, um, this like crazy mixture. And what, what will happen is they will know, they will see me as I converse with you and see the laws that I give you. So Moses goes back up the mountain, the, the cloud comes down, and God gives him the law for Israel. And before we get into um, talking through what these commandments are, I, wanted, I, I just want to frame the morning. I'd like for us to do three things this morning. Number one, I want to take some time talking around uh, the, the Ten Commandments and, and talk about a few, few dynamics that are going on or a few things that might help illuminate the nature of these commandments. The second thing I want to do is then move on to reading through this and, and working through these commandments together. And, that, and then the third thing for us this morning would be for us to reflect and process through, are there any of these that would be more helpful than not for me to focus in on or fix my gaze on and my attention to over this next week? So. A few things that are going on around the Ten Commandments. Let me give you five. Number one, um, these commandments that God gives, they're the manner in which Israel is called to live out their identity as a blessing to the nations. Their identity as a light to the nations. This is the manner in which they are to display to the rest of the world that God is the God of the whole universe, that God is the one worthy of praise, that God is the one of all glory. 
One, one theologian says this is Israel's vocation. It's their calling. William, William Dunbar, Old Testament theologian, puts it this way. He says the rest of the Old Testament from this point forward, from Exodus 20 forward, is in reality merely a commentary upon the degree of fidelity in which Israel would adhere to this Sinai-given vocation. So from this point forward in the Old Testament, according to Dunbar, or Dumbrell, this is like the, the rest of the Old Testament is merely a commentary or an observation on if Israel is faithful or not to these words. So, number one, this is the manner in which God's people are to live out their identity. Second thing about the Ten Commandments what these will do is display the nature of God. Who is God? Who do we know who God is? Who do, how do we know the characteristics of God? We know it through how he acts, how he intervenes within human history, um, but then we also can understand the nature of God through how he instructs, instructs his people. Number three, these were viewed as good news for Israel. So they were viewed not as something that was oppressive, that they had to live up to, but they were viewed as, as, as good news, as gospel. Just listen to the psalmist reflect on God's commands. Psalm 119, just, just hear a few words. Never take your word or truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands. I love that. I reach out, I grasp for your commands, which I love. That I may meditate on your decrees. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This was seen as good news. This was seen as the, an extension of the mercy and the love of the Heavenly Father to his people. Number four, these commandments, it, it just, a, a point of personal reflection. It seems that when God's people are faithful, the power of God seems to be released and manifest within the world in ways that are mysterious, ways that we don't seem to control, nor do we comprehend. It almost seems like when God's people choose to be faithful, those are the moments in which God can use us to do amazing things through our faithfulness. And then number five, The, the Ten Commandments, as I was breaking these down, there's nothing in the text that actually literally says that there are Ten Commandments. And as I was reading through it, I was getting tripped up because sometimes it seems there's like seven or eight commandments. 
And other times there seems like there's 12 or 13. Um, but what we do and what, the, the, what traditionally we've done is we will hermeneutically impose the number 10 on these commandments. And what I just said might be the thing that trips you up more than anything else this morning. But regardless, this is the, the Word of God, um, and we're going to jump into it. So let, let's get into these commandments. Um, let, let's, let's walk through them together and see if there's anything in here for us this morning. Exodus chapter 20, we're going to pick up in verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Just pause there for a moment. God saves his people and then provides guidance for how they live. He does not give them different things they have to live up to and then liberates them after they meet the benchmark. You will hear these, these words in one of two ways. You will hear them from a place of freedom, believing that in the gospel of Christ you are redeemed, you are heirs of the kingdom, you are part of God's family. You are forgiven, you are free, you are empowered. Or you will hear these words as oppression. Things you have to do. You'll hear these words as a cosmic buzzkill. My prayer is that we would hear these words from a place of freedom this morning. Verse 2. By verse 2, I mean verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one, um, don't worship any other gods. Israel was just brought out of Egypt where there was a host of gods. And what God is doing is he's giving them the initial framework that the way your life is to be structured, the way you will be organized as my people is you are to worship me and worship me alone. You shall have no other gods, specifically the gods of Egypt. Now remember, a few chapters earlier, a few stories earlier, before the parting of the Red Sea, God sends plagues down. And every single one of the plagues that he sends um, shatters, shatters the perceived reality or shatters the worship of specific gods. God is waging war against the gods of Egypt. Now, this would be a really good time for me to insert the, the cultural idols that we worship. And I could talk about consumerism and, and, and politics and front row. Y'all would give me some good head nods and I would hear some, mmm, all right? I, I get that from y'all. But I'm not going to do that because that would actually be too easy. As I think about... Uh, Evaluating my own heart when it comes to assessing where, where there's idol worship, where I'm worshiping something else other than God. What I've realized is this. False gods seem to have their power 
and their powerless, their, their lack of power, equally displayed when they begin to fail within our lives. Think about the plagues being sent on Egypt and realizing that these gods did not live up to the promise of who they said they would be. And when you realize that, you start to see the power of the grip that this idol worship actually has over your life. And so a, a point of reflection could be this. Is there chaos in your life at, at any point? Any realm of your life that seems to be spinning out of control? And if there is, maybe, maybe what you're seeing is a false God within your life beginning to crumble, beginning to break, beginning to fail. You shall have no other gods before me. To be open with yourself to examining where is there chaos within my life? And within that chaos is there worship of something else other than the one true living God that seems to be failing. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything of heaven above or on earth below or beneath the water or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for their sins of the parents from the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing a love, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay, there's a lot here, and we don't have time to, to track all of it. But second commandment is you shall not make any images of anything else. Um, so in the same way that the Egyptians would carve images um, to these other gods, you aren't to try to carve an image or make an image in my likeness. Remember, you were created in my image. Don't try to make me in your image or some other image. And what do you do, what do we do about that part where those who disobey will be punishment from generation to generation to generation. It's crazy. It's as if woven into the giving of these commandments from early on is a warning. A warning that almost like, hey, as you go, so do your children and your children's children. My great-grandfather was an alcoholic. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic. And then he was not an alcoholic. February 1990. You know, the when it comes to sin, it seems like the things that we that most entangle us 
have the power and potential to most entangle our children. My biggest fear for Duke is not that he would sin. My biggest fear for Duke is that he would sin in the way that I do. And the things that have the power over my life would have the power over his life. Fourth commandment. Third commandment. Verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Um, how, how we will interpret this or, or hear this is don't take the Lord's name in vain. And the, the very quick fix for this one is don't cuss by using God's name. And you probably shouldn't do that, but that is not what this word is. Uh, what, what God is saying is, so don't take the words, Lord's name in vain. Another way of saying it is don't make my name worthless. In other words, um, what, don't take my name and try to confine it in the same way you'd confine all the other gods. Remember, the way that God introduced himself to Moses was in a burning bush. And Moses is trying to categorize God. Which God are you? Who are you? And God responds to Moses, I am who I am. Mike Goheen says another way of putting this is God is pretty much saying, hey, you want to know who I am? Watch what I'm going to do. Watch what I'm going to do. My name is so powerful. My name is so great. And the only way you're going to be able to fully begin to comprehend it is as you see me move and as you see me work. But you better not. You better not try to confine me and put me in a box. Because when you start to put the name of the Lord in a box or try to, try to confine him with your language. What begins to happen is he ceases to be God. Not literally, but within our minds. He ceases to be the one true living God who has power and the ability to move however he chooses to move. And what will in turn happen is if we confine our gods to worship, to uh, confine our God to the same manner we worship other gods, we only see him as powerful as the other false gods that we worship. Commandment number four in verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, nor your male nor female servant, nor the animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. For the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. A few things here. Number one, um, Sabbath simply means to cease. 
Sabbath simply means to cease. And woven into this commandment is not just instructions for one day, but the fabric of how you and I set up the entirety of our week. Six days were to work, the seventh were to rest. Are our lives structured around the rhythm of God? What is also beautiful about this commandment is it incorporates more than humanity, incorporates more than just Israel. All of the ancient Near East laws from the different kingdoms, and even for that matter, it seems, throughout the course of human history, more often than not, favor the rich, the powerful, and in the prestigious of the time. So all ancient Near East laws up to this point favored essentially those who created the laws. This, these commands, these words, are the first ones that we are aware of within human history that factor in all of creation, every person, and then also the foreigner, the animals. God's law takes into consideration the care of all of humanity, from the top to the bottom, and all of creation, especially the non-human creatures. Commandment 5, verse 12. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. When we think of honoring our parents, we think of being children, respecting and following what our parents are saying. And that we should. We should instruct our kids to listen to what we say. And it's very good. Um, the intention behind this is a little bit more in depth and more generational. It's more in line with honoring your elderly parents, showing them dignity, taking care of them, listening to them for wisdom. Commandment six, you shall not murder. Do not take someone else's life. Human life is precious and, and God intends for the preservation of humanity. Instead of me just looking after myself, I am called to look after my brother and my sister as well. I did not have too much time to get into the depth of this, but one of the things that I saw um, just recently over the last few days was some scholars imply that this command not to murder also incorporated um, allowing people to slip into death um, through the neglect of those around them. So an implication of this also is don't neglect those who are vulnerable. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that adultery, adultery, adultery begins in the heart when we just look after someone else with lustful intent. Do not commit adultery. Verse 15, you shall not steal. Do not take what is not yours. Even more, 
would you be grateful for what God has provided for you to the point of you don't have the desire to take. Even more than that, would we trust that God would be the one who provides? Verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. We oftentimes read this as don't lie. You should not lie. But that is not what the commandment is. The commandment is do not bear false testimony against your neighbor. It's all, I think of more like a simplistic or lazy translation instead of don't, not, don't lying would be don't gossip. Don't say something that's not true about someone else. Be honest with your speech. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your, his male or female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet. That's one command right there. Don't covet anything. Um, one, of, one of my guilty pleasures is, is the state of Florida. Um, Florida holds everything, so many things that I just absolutely despise. Um, chain restaurants, humidity, old people. No, I'm just kidding about the old people. Like, I love, honor, honor your parents. Uh, but, but chain restaurants, humidity, spray tans, right? But, but Florida, so all those things I despise in and of themselves, but in Florida, it's like a perfect weird mix for me where I just can't wait to get to Florida, feel the humidity just dripping down my body and go eat at Olive Garden. I, I just, I, I can't wait to do it. Uh, we, we're going to Florida in a few weeks for, for a family vacation. Um, but, but I remember the last time we went to Florida, we were on a beautiful private beach, white sand, warm water, crispness in the air, amazing breeze. There, there's nowhere else I would rather be in, like, in that moment than, than, than where I was with Danny. And then my phone, then I reached for, for my phone and scrolled through Instagram and realized that what, it, what stirred within my heart was a desire to be somewhere else and experience this collage of other experiences that were being put through in front of me. The interesting thing about Do Not Covet it begins with the soul, with the, with the heart, and it has a direct influence and impact on your relationships with everyone around you. With, uh, with this one, uh, as, as Danny and I have wrestled over the course of our lives, right, or over the course of our marriage, with what, what does it look like to buy a home? and purchase vehicles and go on vacation and what do we do with our money and how much is enough? There are three words that um, have really been a foundation for us 
as we've navigated through how to live within a, a consumer experiential driven society, but still display the gospel. And the three words are this, simplicity, we want to commit to living simple lives, gratitude, we want to be thankful for what God has given us, and then generosity. And these are, these three words seem to be covetousness, repellence. We have this thing called an assault rifle. Just hold on. It's, it's A, one word. Salt is the other word. And rifle is the other. It's a little plastic gun that spurts house salt to kill, ant, not animals, to kill flies and spiders. Okay? It's not a real assault rifle, but we have this thing, and this assault rifle is an am amazing. You just point it at the spider, pull it, spider's dead. These three words, simplicity, gratitude, and generosity, are like the assault rifle we use for covetousness within our lives. So we're going to break for a sec, so, and I want you to turn to a few people next to you, and I'm going to, get, I'm going to give it a little bit more space for this this morning. Okay, Here, here's the question. I want you to focus in on three of the commandments. Three of the commandments. You don't have to pick all ten of them. You should. You should follow all ten of them. But for the sake of this morning, we're, we're going to stick with three. You choose. What are three that pop out to you the most as you hear them? And what might it look like to be obedient to these this week? The first commandment you're going to choose is between commandments one through three. One through three. The second commandment you're going to choose is commandment four. So I already gave you one. So now it's really two, one through one through three. You have to pick commandment four because we're all awful at Sabbath, right? And then the, the third one is commit any commandment from one through five. So one commandment from one through three, commandment four, and then one commandment from one or from five through ten, excuse me. And latch on to those. As you, as you have those, share them. Share them with, uh, with the people sitting next to you um, in a way that's appropriate. Um, so if yours is like, you pick like coveting your neighbor's wife, it might be awkward like in discussion here. Um, so maybe just like pick something else, like don't murder, right? That might be far more easy to talk about it in context. Um, so um, choose, choose three commandments, one from one through three, one, so pick commandment four, and then one from five through ten. And what might it look like to be faithful to these this week? Ready, set, go. Okay, let's bring it back in. And so at, as we're wrestling through these commandments, a, a big question is like, how on earth will we be faithful to following these and to jump ahead in, in the biblical story um, as, we, as we wind down and reflect and as we're about to go to the table, Kenny will give us some feelings in a little bit. Um, the, 
the amazing thing is you is as you look ahead in the biblical story what happens very shortly after God provides the commandments is he gives them instruction for the tabernacle where he will then go and set up his presence in their midst God will be with them God will be in the midst of his people. And so as you and I this morning reflect on obedience, we reflect on obedience to Christ, holding on to the beauty of the promise that God is with us. His spirit dwells in our midst. God is here. And we take the elements, the the bread and the wine to remember every single week that God does not leave us on our own accord. He does not just set the world in motion and stand back. But he's here with us. And so would we come um, to the table as a confession the ways in which we have have failed to live up to God's word. But then also would we come to the table as a celebration that God has provided the path forward, that God has showed us how to live, and that in a mysterious way, as God's people are faithful to his word, God's presence is faithful to being with us and moving within our lives in ways that we could never imagine and maybe in ways that we don't fully comprehend or see just yet. So I invite you to the table to take and believe.